Good afternoon, good evening. I'm Dove Tuzman and you're on equal footing. This is going to be an interesting dynamic tonight. You ready? So our topic is about feminism and Orthodox Judaism. Can the two mix? Are they oil and water? Now, I've been doing this show for a long time and we've had subjects that are very controversial. Difficult for people to uh, forget about, talk about, even listen to. We did a show on alternative forms of fidelity in marriage. You can probably imagine some of the uh, the tweaks that that gave people. You know, can you be faithful in a three-way relationship, for example? We've talked about even challenging the idea of the righteousness of certain patriarchs in the Bible, which for many of our listeners was very difficult. We had a call, we had a, a show, a couple shows on Dovod Melech on David from the, the Hebrew Bible and about his failings and whether those are, uh, kind of con- counteract or contradict his, his holiness. Things like this that really raise hackles. Tonight's topic, though, might take the cake. And I didn't think it would. You know, we did a show last week on female rabbis, and we had a sociological discussion as well as a religious or a Jewish law discussion. We had an Orthodox rabbi on, Rabbi Joseph Isaac Corfin. We had a a female rabbi on, Rabbi Rachel Davidson, and yet they were able to have a very civil discussion. We've had Heshi Tischler in the program that people kind of love or hate talking about the, the boundaries of freedom of speech. But you know what? Tonight's program on feminism and Orthodox Judaism was the hardest program to book people to speak on. And the reason you haven't heard me introduce my guests is because I don't have any. We had two guests as of an hour ago. One who Daphne Lazar Price who's the executive director of the Jewish Orthodox Female Alliance, has many years of exploring the intersection of feminism and Orthodox Judaism. And Rabbi Marianne Novak, who is also a scholar in this in this area, has lectured for many Jewish, Jewish, Jewish organizations and synagogues and blogs for the Times of Israel on these types of topics. And both of them bailed out. Both of them let us know about an hour ago they couldn't get on. Now, there were other... And if excuses to that, but I got to tell you, in over a year of programming on really sensitive topics, that's never once happened. And many other people that I reached out to, not everybody, I want to be fair, there are a couple of folks that really wanted to be able to participate in for other obligations, professional or familiar, were not able to. But many folks were not willing to talk about this. So talk about it with me. Call in. I'm gonna. I'm gonna try to as I can. Right. I'm. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm Jewish, but I'm a man, and it's. I'm not gonna give the same perspective to feminism and Orthodox Judaism as others will. So I. I ask you. I beseech you to participate in the conversation. If it's too sensitive for you to do so, even one of the folks that might have been a guest in the program, if you still don't have the chutzpah 
get on the air, then text in a question anonymously. Call in anonymously. Phone number 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. And you can also text a question. This you can do completely anonymously. You don't have to mention your name if it's, again, you want to participate, but you want to do so without attribution. 917-428-4062 is the number to text or WhatsApp a comment or question. That's 917-428-4062 to participate by text or WhatsApp and 718-303-9090 to participate live. Okay, so I'm going to have to do the, the advocacy on both sides of this issue. And... It's going to be tough to do so without my bias shining through. So I may as well just say my bias up front and let's get that over with. I struggle as a Jewish man with three younger sisters, with a daughter, with many women in my life who I look up to, who have been mentors, who have been business partners, who I co-parent with, that... It's hard for me to be on this path as, and those who know me, you know, we can debate how observant I am. But as someone who is on some, some of the, some side of the spectrum of observant Judaism, to also rationalize and reconcile some of the things that that brings with it. Or at least I think it brings with it. And help me understand why it doesn't. Let's go through a few of those things. And especially for those of you who are non-Jewish, you're going to have a ball tonight because, first of all, I want to know how it matches up against your own religious observance. And second of all, you get to, you get to, uh, um, what is that? Where I'm thinking of the Muppets. You get to, you know, yell from the, uh, from the, um, from the peanut gallery, the peanut gallery. Okay. So let's go through a few of these things that at least say to me that feminism and Orthodox Judaism don't mix. Women and men pray separately. Okay. Women really aren't encouraged to pray, at least not in the place, designated place of prayer, the synagogue. Someone call me and correct me. But I think, frankly, honest assessment, not encouraged to. Okay? There's a prayer that is Orthodox Jewish men, we say every day. We say many, but one of them is, we thank God for not having been born a woman. You know, I think a lot of people aren't willing to say this out loud. That is... A prayer you are supposed to say every single day as an Orthodox Jewish man. The, I'm sure that many of you have heard the case of kind of women being chained effectively to husbands who refuse them a religious divorce and often who cannot remarry. That's in extreme sects of Orthodox Judaism, but it is part of halacha. It is part of Jewish law. You, you need your husband's permission to get the get. The get being the divorce document. So to get that divorce document. Okay, so that's just a little bit. It's the tip of the iceberg. Now let's, let's look at it, let's look at it though from the other perspective for a moment. And there is an argument, we covered this last week, around Shekhinah, around the, the, the divine feminine divinity in Judaism. There is a strong halachic Jewish law argument. There's a strong Jewish philosophical argument that women are closer to God by nature. So there's less of a necessity to pray. There's less of a necessity to perform certain mitzvot, certain holy or good deeds 
that are intrinsic to being an observant Jew. There's, for those of you that are not Jewish, even some that are, but maybe are not so practicing, there's 613 of these mitzvot, of these things you're supposed to do or not do. Some of them are positive, as in do this. Some of them are negative, as in don't do this. Well, the vast majority of them, or many of them, I should say, I don't want to get caught saying something wrong. I want someone to call and correct me. But many of them apply to men only. Many of them explicitly and many of them implicitly. However, again, there is this argument in the holy texts that that the essential energy in Judaism, the essential divine energy, has a very feminine quality to it, and that women are born closer to God. And so they, it's not that they're not equal; it's that they don't have to do as many of these as many of these things to stay close to God. As many of these prayers, as many of these good deeds. Do you buy that? Do you buy that? I'm not sure I do. Sounds like rationalization. You know, this separate but equal concept that we talked about last week on the show on female rabbis, one of the rabbis, and I give him great credit. And I want to take this opportunity, by the way, to give great appreciation and credit to all the guests over the last year plus who have not chickened out, who have been willing to be on a show knowing that their stance would be unpopular, that have been willing to be on a show knowing that someone else would take an opposing view and be articulate and convincing about it, and yet have stood in their truth and said, you know what? Here's what I think. This is how I feel. I give great credit. Now, and last week I give credit to Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf, who was on and was, and was kind of expounding. I'm, I'm putting words a little bit in his mouth, but this concept of like that women have separate, even a caller called in and said, you know, we can have separate roles and still be equal, right? Except it so happened when we went through what those separate roles were, at least in the concept of a co-directorship model in a, in a, in a congregation, in that case in a Chabad house, it sure sounded to me like the man's roles the man's role had to do with ministry and guidance and scholarship and teaching. And a lot of the things that were listed as part of the women's role sounded secretarial to me. Sounded like accounting and scheduling and making sure the food got on the table. The separate but equal argument, and now I'm saying this strictly from a secular perspective, is a hackneyed rationalization for bigotry, for misogyny, for racism. I mean, that was the Jim Crow laws. It's not that black people couldn't go to the restroom. They were separate. It's separate restrooms. Equal. Separate but equal. Right? There was a Supreme Court case. Brown versus the Board of Education struck this down. If you can't be in the same space, if you can't do the same thing, if you're not allowed in that forum of expression, prayer, debate, whatever it might be, then it's not, you're not equal. It's not true equality. All right, let's take our first caller on this issue. I can't wait to get shot down, informed. And I know we've got a caller on others. We've got other callers here. Line, line two, you're on the air talking about feminism and orthodoxy. Oil and water? Hello. Hi, who's uh, this? Hi, this is Janice from New York City. Hi, Janice. Welcome. Hi. Pleasure. Um Obviously, extraordinarily uh, interesting topic for for many reasons. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm probably not going to make too much philosophical sense, but uh, growing up in an Orthodox uh, family, 
um, I kind of became over the years, initially, I thought, leaning towards conservatism, conservative Judaism, uh, where, like, if, for example, in my family, every female is a professional uh, and working, has a career, has a personal life, so on and so forth. So I, I do strongly believe, primarily as a woman, that once we start defining being somebody else, we lose who we are. So while I do, and I do agree with you that extremism has no role in, in society in any form or shape, attempting to request uh, being equal to men or, or, or men being more receptive to a uh, woman, I think loses the whole point. I think this brings an issue of how comfortable you are with who you are. So are you, Janice, uh, let me just get to the essence of this, because we're going to go to our first break in a second. I want to understand your point. Are you saying, are you agreeing that you can't be separate but equal? Or are you saying you've get you've gotten to a place of, of peace and, and uh, comfort on being kind of in, in Jewish orthodoxy, separate but equal? Separate but equal. So you feel okay that you, you that you, uh, you feel okay that that you're not really encouraged to go to synagogue in Orthodox practice as a woman. Uh, what, what I did not, what I did not, what I actually forgot to mention that while I initially was inclined in my, in my younger adult years towards conservatism, and I have attempted to understand what does it mean to sit together, which was completely new. Uh, uh, that does not fit. It is different. So I went back. Uh, to to orthodox practice uh, of gender separations, not because uh, one is less equal than another, is because it's different that should be appreciated rather than attempted to copy. Okay, that's fair, and that was a point that was made last week, and I appreciate uh, I appreciate making that point, and that you're you're comfortable on on that path with there being defined different roles. Janice, thank you for the call. We're going to take our first break, and we'll come back to pick up uh, another caller. We'll be right back on equal footing talking about feminism and Orthodox Judaism, oil and water. Can the two coexist? We'll be right back. Let's, let's talk about our first sponsor tonight for Equal Footing, DocuVax. What a great support DocuVax has been over uh, the last couple of years. It's an organization that offers you a digital medical wallet. It's a really easy way to download all of your medical information on your smartphone or your laptop. You don't have to give it to the government. You don't have to give it to an insurance company. You don't even have to give it to your doctor. Newsflash, your medical information belongs to who? You. Belongs to you only. Others may traffic in it. You may be asked to send it to someone else. But you own your medical information. So take control over it. Take control over it the same way you do the money you have in the bank. Even your credit record that you carefully track on your Experian or wherever it might be. Download DocuVax. It's an app. It's available on iPhone and Android and your Google phones as well. It's DocuVax, D-O-C-U-V-A-X. You can also go to DocuVax.com and sign up online. If you're a small or medium-sized business owner or a school administrator or even a head of household, you can sponsor employees or organizational participants or your own family members also to sign up for DocuVax. And they can also download the information privately. It's still only there, unless, of course, you're dealing with your kids' information. 
that are under 18, you do have a right to that. But you can sponsor others to be on the program. This is great for small employers. They want to make sure that their employees are up to date in the latest vaccination or have had a preventative screening or have gotten the right blood test or whatever without invading their privacy. DocuVax covers over 60 different important elements of your medical profile, from COVID, flu, and tetanus vaccines to colorectal and breast cancer screenings, to blood type information and allergy information. For as little as $6.99 per month, you can get DocuVax services. You can also call to sign up. You can go to DocuVax.com or you can call 833-859-1933. That's 833-859-1933. All of your medical records are stored in a HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility on your smartphone or on your laptop. And here's the best part. As a DocuVax subscriber, medical professionals, doctors and nurses are on call for you 24 hours a day to validate your vaccine records, your blood tests, or anything else in your medical locker. Just the other day, I got asked for the first time, I was going into a restaurant in Manhattan, and I got asked for the Excelsior Pass. Has anyone gotten asked for that yet? And I had to produce on my phone my vaccine record for uh, covid but you know what? My last name wasn't perfectly matched to what the pharmacy had put in, so I did, I couldn't do it. I couldn't set it up. Well, Excelsior accepts DocuVax. Excelsior accepts other applications. You don't have to do this for the, with the government. You can do this privately on your own. Sign up to DocuVax and put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date on a particular vaccine, blood tests, or important preventative screening and be able to share that information using a proprietary QR code based system with someone else without giving up on your privacy. DocuVax, 833-859-1933-833-859-1933. All right, you're back on equal footing. I'm Dove Tusman, all alone. My guests canceled on me. First time ever. An hour before the show. I guess it was too touchy a subject. I mean, this was upsetting to me. We're talking about feminism and Orthodox Judaism. Can the two mix? Call her on line four. Help me out. Hi, Dov. How are you? Hi. Is this Yocheved? It is Yocheved. Hi, Yocheved. Welcome, welcome back. Yocheved's been on the program once Thank talking you. about, I, I think, Yocheved, we last time we were together in the program, we were talking about uh, religious versus secular education, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was way back, actually. I really, really enjoyed being your guest. I love the work that you do, and this is a topic near and dear to my heart, professionally and personally, so I couldn't resist calling in. I hope that's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't wait. And I, you know, I need an education, you know, I wanted to be clear, Yocheved, with you, because you're a leader in the Orthodox community in uh, Brooklyn and Crown Heights, and also doing work around the country. I'm aware of some of the work you do. And there's no ego in what I'm saying. I'm just trying to get a conversation going and and flailing a little bit because I'm all alone here. So help me understand, did I say something, I don't know if you were listening before, was I off base with the characterization uh, is there such thing as as Orthodox feminism, or feminism in Yeah, Orthodox there absolutely is such thing as Orthodox feminism, and I think it shows up in many different ways, and is reacted to differently across the Orthodox community. First of all, the Orthodox community is not monolithic at all. Uh, I'm actually engaged right now in a research project on 
gender and leadership in the Orthodox community. And I'm talking to women from across the spectrum of the Orthodox community. And you have all the way, you know, with female-ordained rabbis to, you know, the total right of the community, which is, you know, what many would label as ultra-Orthodox or Haredi, labels I don't love but still describe a community mm-hmm. that is a lot more insular. And so this question around feminism shows up very differently across that spectrum. And I'll just name that I live in the Chabad community, which I feel has its own flavor and, and around this And for those listeners that might not be aware, what is the Chabad community? So the Chabad community is a Hasidic community. Our leader is Lubavitcher Cherevi of Amin Ahmed The head, the base is in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, but there are emissaries across the world um, with a message of bringing deep spirituality power, even one act of kindness, and Torah values. Um, anywhere you might find a Jew, and, and even non-Jews, is just a really um, a charge to spread light in this world. And in the Chabad movement, you have a lot of very visible, um, influential female leaders. And, and, you know, for example, I was taught from a young age that women have incredible power. And I think that's something you will find across the Orthodox community in different ways. Mm-hmm. This notion that women have a special role. I think this is kind of what your last caller was alluding to. They're sort of separate but equal, and that the female role um, is quite powerful. I think where you start rubbing up against the edges is, you know, does, does, is there a level of access with that power? Is there access to um, public, visible leadership roles? Mm-hmm. Is there access to decision-making within the um, halakhic process? Is there access to lead communal life? So, Yochavid, if, you if you don't mind interruption for a second, do I have this right? My, my understanding is that in Jewish law or halakha, there are certain prescriptions, or at least there are certain things that are interpreted by some as pers- proscriptions, meaning prohibitions from women being in positions of power and authority, like being on a board of directors, for example, or correct. an office. Yeah. That's yeah. correct. No, you're not a face. So I was, I was actually, for 10 years, I was one of the maybe only leaders of a mixed-gender Hasidic school, um, for sure, North America, maybe the world. And we were unique in that we had not just female leadership and women on our board, but many, many, many organizations in the Orthodox community, even ones that you might call more, quote-unquote, modern Orthodox, will not have a female president of their show, mm-hmm. will not have women sitting on their board. And there is a halakhic basis for that. There is a law called Shwara. Which means, What's it and forgive me, I don't know, Shwara. Shwara, okay. Shwara, with a cis sound. And, um, and I don't know all the, the complexities of the law, but the bottom line is that women are not, not meant to have certain positions of power. Outside and so, of correct. And so you'll find that women are exercising informal, um, kinds of leadership, 
whether it's through social media or, you know, um, underground, under-table meetings, and then they kind of bring the activity to their husbands, and their husbands are the visible change agents. Um, or you find that you have women who are actually really unsettled in the Orthodox community and feel um, perturbed by a lack of opportunity, or that even if there is opportunity, there are so many hurdles that they have to cross to get there. And I think this is where you're talking about the orthodoxy and feminism. This is where you will have orthodox women, such as myself, who also call themselves feminists, where they will say, yes, women have an inherent power. Yes, there's something beautiful in Judaism that we learn about women, but there needs to be some shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question there is, though, are those shifts that need to happen for women everywhere? For example, the pay gap. Um, when I was at my school in the last two years of my school, we really worked hard to close that pay gap. Um, because yeah, Kevin, if you if yeah. you don't mind me interrupting, when we were talking about some like pay gap when you get into the the social realm. When I'm hearing you, the the pre- previous caller and your and yourself talking about the concept I'm, I'm, I'm searching for a better word because it's going to sound a little bit charged but I, what I would call accommodation so the idea of like in other words you have a system that has some um, difficult kind of components or rules to it and then you're as a feminist you're kind of accommodating and trying to figure out how to adjust um, you know at the edges and what it reminds me of is I don't remember if you remember in in, um, kind of in secular education learning about W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker Washington and Booker T. Washington, mm. they were they're both civil rights activists in the, in the Black American community, and Booker T. Washington's idea was basically it was a philosophy of accommodation, like self help, have racial solidarity in the group. In this case, to, to mm. make a comparison, it would be solidarity of women in the Orthodox world, in the Orthodox world, to kind of make a comparison. But you you kind of would get there by achieving within the rule set. Whereas W. E. B. Du Bois, mm. who's the founder of the NAACP, said that's never going to work. They sharply disagree. Right. They're only going to get there through resistance, through changing, through totally uh, equal yeah. access to education and civil rights. So I don't mean to I'm – not, I'm not trying to stylize you as Booker T. Washington in that um, – in, in what I'm saying. I'm, I, I'm asking the question, are there – am I right that there are two paths of feminism, one the more accommodating Booker T. Washington path and one the more – resistant, let's break some glass, W.E.B. Du Bois path? Yeah, and I would actually add a third cap, a third bucket, which is everything is fine. We have what we need. We're empowered. We love our role. And don't project your assumption that Orthodox women are backwards, uneducated, fundamentalists. We are... We are perfectly fine. Okay, that's a think, def- that would that would be uh, this gonna uh, you're gonna probably slap me over the phone when I say this or want to hit me over the phone, but that'd be kind of in my comparison an Uncle Tom path. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I couldn't resist. Maybe, I, I'll tell you, no, it's okay. I'll tell you. Look, there's actually been some research on this. I'll give you an example. Um, her name is Michal Rauscher, and she wrote an amazing book about. Um, agency that women have in the Orthodox community around family size. And that actually 
where the assumption might be, and again, I know this is quite crude, but the Orthodox woman as a baby machine, um, actually, and she she based her research in, on women in Israel, but um, that woman, Haredi women, actually have a lot of agency around family size. Har- Haredi and, being like ultra orthodox. Correct, correct, and feeling you know, and they do have ownership, and and they're not at their husband's will. And again, I think there are a lot of caricatures out there around Orthodox women. Uh, I know myself, I've had countless conversations wrestling with people's assumptions of me, and I I think I break a lot of stereotypes around um, an Orthodox Jewish woman. And so there's a certain, I think there's a certain resistance for, for, many Orthodox women in embracing the feminist um, identity because, first of all, just there's a resistance to embracing for a lot of women, a lot of people in the Orthodox community, anything that feels too politically, socially liberal. And I think there's this sense of, I am not going to fall into the trap of of your perception of me. I don't know if you... We're following, you know, that Netflix um, reality show, My Orthodox Life. Oh, it's a whole other conversation of itself. Yeah, we should do. I've, I've received a lot of text uh, comments on that. I've only gotten past like episode, yeah. not even past episode one. We should do. A show yeah, yeah, but but you know, there was actually a whole insurgence of Orthodox women who created this hashtag called My Orthodox Life, and they wrote about themselves and they said. No, I am educated. I have a career. I have a family. I am opinionated. I I take care of myself, and I am orthodox. And you know, pushing against that stereotype. Yeah, I think that and, I, I appreciate you pushing against that because I, I it's hard being without get you know formal guests here. You've been an impromptu guest here to like I said at the outset of the show, not have my bias bias shine through, and the equivalency of separation uh, in certain roles or in you know, there being a certain degree of um, of difference in a woman's mm. life in Orthodox Judaism versus a woman's life outside of Orthodox Judaism doesn't mean it's lesser. Yeah. And I think I don't want in any way sugarcoat what I perceive and from my perspective as to be real, real challenges in the community. You have women who are frustrated that they don't have a voice within the halachic and the Jewish law, you know, process of decision and evolution. Um, you know, there's a specific phenomena of the aguna, which is the changed woman, a woman who has not yet received a divorce from their husband, because in Jewish law, the man has to give his wife the divorce, and until he does, she is still married to him. And you have countless women who are essentially chained in these abusive, coercive marriages when they're not effectively living with their husband and they don't longer want to be married. And um, here you have a place where many, many, many Orthodox Jewish women feel completely disempowered and angry and in fact, here's a ex- really interesting Yoch- example. Yochava, just by quick, yeah. uh, can you would you be able to hold that example to after the break, or we're going to lose you? 
Oh, no, of course, I can hold. Okay, yeah. we're going we're gonna to take a quick break, and we're going to hear that example, Yochavet, and maybe we'll even see if you'd be willing to, we have a bunch of callers waiting, if you'd be willing to be on the phone when another caller calls in. <laughs> we'll be right back on Equal Footing. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been Back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tuzman. We're talking about feminism and Orthodox Judaism. Oil and water, or can they mix? Yochavet Sadov has called in and joined us. Yochavet, I interrupted you before the ad break. You were giving us an example. Yeah, happy to be here. Um, I was giving you an example of a space in which Orthodox women are highly, rightfully, very frustrated and disempowered. And this grassroots phenomena that happened about say four months back where you had these social media influencers, these orthodox women who don't have official positions of power, but definitely hold a lot of informal power and created a whole movement online called the Free Hava Movement where they um, drummed up a lot of attention and and I would say holy rage around this Aguna crisis and around some specific Agunos. Um, That's the chained one woman. when women are like chained to a marriage that they don't have the men's permission to get out of. Correct. And and ultimately there was a whole um, campaign on social media and they organized protests across the country and engaged rabbis to be able to leverage their power to put pressure on these men, a few of them, but but even once a woman who were in marriages for more than 10 years to finally give their woman a divorce document. So I think that's a really powerful example of women coming together, of exercising power in an informal space, ultimately, yes, having to leverage men to create change. Is it is it ideal? Is it just in response to the power that we have in making do? Kind of what you were you were saying before. You know, ideally, women would have a voice. Ideally, this whole problem would the rabbis would find a way for this to go away. But at least where we are right now, you can see women coming together in a very powerful way to affect change. I want to take a caller to join us for a sec, if you if that's okay with you, Chavit. 
I just want sure. to take a very quickly while I'm doing that, I'll add on the caller on line one so he or she can participate. Oops. I accidentally dropped the caller, so that was a mistake. So I hope Yocheven will call back in. And in the meantime, okay, I think we've got, there we go. Let's see if I can do this. Hello. It's on the fly. Yocheven, are you back on? Yes, that's okay. That's what happens when I'm sorry, Dimitri. <laughs> Our audio engineer should have done. I I tried to to, uh, to add on a caller, and instead I I lost him or her. I think I may have lost both. You'll have it. I was just going to say prior to that little goof up on my part that the, what you described in terms of advocates coming together and uh, creating change. They went through the rabbinate, went through rabbis to effectuate change around these women being kind of enchained marriages or not being able to get out of marriages because they don't have men's permission. That doesn't sound to me like orthodox feminism. That sounds to me like feminism in opposition to orthodoxy. Let me, let me process that. Um, that's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure then the, how you would define an orthodox feminism. I, I see that as Orthodox women who are aware of the um, the edges of the hard spots within their community and are leveraging their power to push against those boundaries and affect change. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of I, I see that in many ways as as a definition of feminism of of uh, you know holding the power of women and holding the belief that women um, deserve equal power and doing what is possible to affect change within within society. Right. I see that, too. I, I'm just wondering whether it's a cons- an issue of, of advocacy and opposition to, to a system. Let's see, Dimitri, because I don't want to screw it up. Can you add line three? Okay, I think... Caller on line three, you've joined Yochavit Sidoff and myself, Dove Tuzman, you're on the air. Hi, hello, can everyone hear me? We can hear you. Perfect, hello. I, uh, first of all, my name is Emma. I come to you from a bit of a agnostic approach to religion, uh, more so secular, but I'm very curious and um, I am familiar with, uh, I mean, uh, in my circle I have a lot of Muslim friends, a lot of Christian friends, not a lot of Jewish friends, if I'm being honest, but uh, I, uh, I am uh, familiar with some Jewish people in my life. Now, the thing I have to say from a very uh, secular perspective and non-biased is that, to me, Judaism, out of all the... Abrahamic religions is the most fair to women, meaning the most treats women uh, as not just secondary to the man, but also creatures with power. And, you know, uh, I heard your show on the, uh, the Feminine Divine, and they were actually considered more holier than men. And I just have to say that I agree that in more orthodox I mean, in ultra-Orthodox or in more conservative communities, um, there has been a media, I mean, actually there has been a media portrayal of only these communities, and so the general idea is that it's a religion that is 
force this woman to be submissive and baby machines. Excuse my uh, my crudeness. So it's really interesting, Emma. Thank you for calling. So if I hear you correctly, uh, and mm-hmm. you didn't tell us what religion you were, that's fine. So you're agnostic. We have friends across various faiths, including the Muslim faith. You're saying that Judaism in, in, is, if I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is like essentially more feminist, is more uh, female positive than, than other Abrahamic faiths? Yes, yes, that is exactly what I meant. Yeah, I mean, that's, I appreciate that voice because, you know, I obviously came in this with, with, you know, critique about, you know, the idea of separate but equal, but it is fair to mention, and non-Jewish listeners probably not, many may not be aware of this, that Judaism is matrilineal, and it's, I think, the only major religion that is matrilineal, meaning Mm -hmm. that it passes through the woman, whereas, you know, in in Christianity or Islam, your father's of that faith, and that's what you are intrinsically when you're born. Well, in, in Judaism, your father is Jewish, if your, if your mother's not, you're, you're not, you're not Jewish at the beginning, if you'd have to convert. So, it goes to the, the woman. Yochavet, I, I appreciate you taking so much time. <laughs> what do you say to Emma's point? Is she, do you think she's, she's on point? Did I miss, did I kind of miss the plot with this show? Is, is Judaism essentially feminist? Yeah, I really appreciate your point, Emma. I, I do, I do agree that, and again, I, I, I'm not an expert at all at another religion, so I don't want to speak out of term. Um, and you may find a similar phenomenon where women on, on the inside of these religions do feel empowered. Um, but from, from my perspective where I sit, it does seem to me that Judaism absolutely holds women in high esteem um, from, you know, the, the most, spir- you know, the spiritual sense of what, what feminine energy is, the role of the mother in the home as, as a co-creator with God, um, the sense that women can cultivate and execute in a way that men are not, may not be able to. I think there's a lot there. Um, I think that what you find right now is, Again, a phenomena, and you know, you, you can even say like of the, of the Me Too movement in a sense, but this phenomena of just more of an awareness of the mis- of misogyny, of ways in which gender um, um, affects women in the workforce, in home life, you know, um, and there's less of a tolerance of that across the board. I think people are looking at the pay gap, they're looking at research around. When women are sitting at the table with men, how men tend to dominate and women have a hard time getting a word in edgewise, how women have a harder time negotiating for salary, all these mm-hmm. kinds of things. And those are not Jewish phenomena. That's the phenomena of the world sure. we live in. Yeah, these and are I think broad so, civil rights piece, issues. Right. But I think the Jewish piece is that you have women who, where, there's, where there are Jewish law constructs, though, as they play out in this modern-day age, that feel that they shut women out. And that women are trying to have more of a voice within different parts of the community and are rubbing up against those gender roles and the, the unspoken, um, discrimination in many places. We've had you for a lot of time. Really appreciate it. I just want to, I just want to ask if you would be willing to give 20, 30 second answer this very interesting question before we're going to take the caller online. Sure, and let you sure. Go. Here's the question. I'm going to paraphrase it slightly. It's, it's a religious question uh, that this, this uh, listener thinks the issue is that it's not time to be equal as women and men at this time 
but only when the Messiah comes, when the world is ready. I don't uh, my answer to that is the world is ready. Okay. My answer is that you have this feminine rising where you have women finding their voice and finding empowerment, and there's even you know, the swing towards more process-oriented education, business, strategy, the sort of feminine um, uh, characteristics are becoming more pronounced. And I think the world is ready, and I think it's happening, and I think it's time for everyone to join yeah. that train. All right. <laughs> you have it, Saito. Thanks for calling in. We're going to come. We're going to do our last break. Thank we'll come you back so much to, for to me. yeah. It was great to, to have you yeah. on, and and we will come back in a in a moment to uh, continue our discussion on Judaism, Orthodox Judaism, and feminism. Oil and water, or can they mix? Be right back. These boots are made for walking. And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you All right, well, let's talk about our wonderful sponsor at Equal Footing that have been with us for quite a while, Manhattan Medical. Manhattan Medical offers an alternative to those expensive blue pills to help with erectile dysfunction. And this is a message for both men and their partners. What's more emotionally painful than erectile dysfunction? It's being unable as a partnership, as a couple, to have enjoyable sex. Manhattan Medical utilizes a new, effective gains wave therapy. It help it can help you achieve excellent results. As I said, there's no expensive pills. It's non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. Most important, there are many people who cannot take traditional remedies for erectile dysfunction because there are side effects and there are comorbidities that don't allow it. Manhattan Medical has no side effects. It's available to any patients of any age. It can help you. The way Manhattan Medical came to Equal Footing as a sponsor is that I have a friend who's in his 80s and he struggled with erectile dysfunction and wasn't able to use traditional modalities to, to heal it, deal with it. And he went to Manhattan Medical, and he's had terrific results. And it's really changed his life in a positive way. Call for a free consultation. Just because it's called Manhattan Medical does not mean you have to be in the New York area. You can do a telephonic consult from anywhere in the United States. Call 888-EDQR9. That's 888-EDQR9, or using the numbers on your telephone keypad, 888-332-8739. That's 888-332-8739. Call now. And if you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical's Gains Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction on the Equal Footing Radio Program, you get a free consultation, which is a $250 value. Call now. 888-332-8739. I've been caught. Are you back on Equal Footing? I'm Dove Tusman, and we've been talking about feminism and Orthodox Judaism. Do these things mix? What's going on? We Last week, we talked about female rabbis. This week, this week, we've been addressing women in positions of power and authority in Orthodox Judaism. We're going to take a patient caller on line five. Uh, two things I just want to say quickly. One is, I know this topic is not talked about enough and not addressed honestly enough and not addressed by as many sides of the issue. And I saw of the of the debate, 
openly and with each other and respectively, res- respectfully. I saw in the process of getting to this show, in the research for it, in the guest booking, and ultimately in the cancellation, right before the program, we had two guests. One who was the executive director of the, uh, I don't want to get the name right, the Jewish, uh, Feminine Jewish Alliance. Uh, hold on, I'm going to get this uh, name right so I don't uh, screw it up in a moment. Um, she was, she canceled the last minute. The executive director of the Jewish Orthodox Female Alliance, Daphne Lazar Price, and there was another rabbi who was going to join us, Marianne Novak. They canceled at the last minute. I found that when it's a really difficult topic, people find a way to not uh, be on the program, but I've never had someone do that right before the program. So clearly this was touching a nerve uh, and therefore decided, you know what? We're going to go forward anyway. We're going to talk about it. Thank you to Yochevet Saida for calling in. Thank you to, to uh, folks that have called in with uh, other questions and, and comments. The other thing I want to mention on a much lighter note is the lead-in music for the program, Keep On by Lane 8. Lane 8 is playing in Brooklyn now. You got to see it. It's Brooklyn Mirage. They're amazing. One of the best, best bands out there. So, uh, go see them. And they've been very gracious to allow us to use their song on the program for some time. All right. Let's see if I can do this without disconnecting you. Caller on line five. Let's see if I can get caller on line five without dropping you. Caller on line five. I think you're on the air. I think so too. <laughs> Stan. Good evening. And it's hot out there. <laughs> and it's hot on your Freezing toe, toe. in the studio. I have sandals on in the studio, and I'm, it's I'm hot shivering. In the studio. Yeah. Uh, oh, big, right. Yes, the topic is hot get, for sure. Let me get, why did they cancel? What was their reason? First of all, the the ostensible reason was what did they say? What did they say? Yeah, well, I didn't hear from one of them. Well, one that, of them that didn't say something right there. Well, what did the yeah, other one? Say? The other one said through someone else. Uh, that, they didn't talk. Yeah, that they were cons- that they were concerned about being in the program because of some of the legal stuff that what I've been through stuff? in the past. No, m- my because, pers- of your, because of your situation. Right, right. That's just that's that's stupid. Right. Thing. My experience has been, and I'm, I mean, Stan, you know, anybody who's listening to this show knows that I'm totally open about. It. I could, I mean, in fact, yeah. you probably want to say, "Okay, Dove, I don't need to hear anything more about that." I'm very open. Right, well, hey, let, let my experience right has it. been was people use okay. that as an excuse. It generally means they don't want. To, they're just afraid okay, of being in the. Okay, let's get right to it. The major point that was mentioned, I listened to the first two women. The key line that both of them used was separate but equal. They accept that. Well, I don't accept that. That is a ignorant falsehood. To, accept, and these to be fair, there, I think it was just the first caller who was either, Well, I think it. the second one tended to agree with it, too. A little bit separate more but uh, equal, nuanced point of view, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but separate but equal is racism. It is a down way of keeping someone in a specific place. We see that in a synagogue of orthodoxy. Just when you come in, you sit here, I sit here. That's separate, but equal, but not equal. And for the women, at least the first woman to state to herself that she is equal in that regard is, is, I don't know if it's ignorance or not understanding of what American women have gone through. The other point that I think needs to be said is, I wish you would have had Zev Brenner and his wife on tonight. Modern orthodoxy. I think you would have got a better. If he's listening, Zev, get on the phone. I think Zev, their, yeah, their relationship in modern orthodoxy is orthodox. But I think her involvement in the business and so forth, I think, I mean, he can give a pretty good explanation of what his situation is. Yeah, and to be fair, modern orthodoxy is a whole different ball of wax. That's still and all. It's yeah. still and all. 
Uh, she, the woman claimed she was a feminist. A feminist would not tolerate separate but equal. Uh. At any stage. You know, let me, okay. let me put, throw out a couple of quotes back. It's kind of back you up a little bit and give some context. Sure, sure. Uh, sure. So the, the, one of the leading conservative rabbinical voices, a woman, and is very much in favor of the kind of separate but equal approach to things. Her name is Rabbi Judith Hauptman. And she, she calls it a benevolent patriarchy. And when I first read that, is in research for the show, I thought, oh, she, she's, she must be being ironic. Exactly. I thought she must be being ironic. And, and it isn't, it wasn't an ironic comment. In other words, there really is a view out there among some people that, 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 that it is a benevolent, uh, patriarchy. I do want to give a couple of stats to your point, Stan, around the, um, around kind of tying it into the concept of civil rights in, in, in general. I mean, there are only a handful of Jewish Orthodox rabbis in the world. I mean, in, in, in reaching for this, researching for this program, there are only maybe a dozen in the world now. And even those rabbis, m- most of them do not have congregations. In other words, they became ordained in an Orthodox uh, educational context and then have struggled to get a pulpit. I mean, have struggled to actually find. You're talking about women, right? I'm talking about women. Yeah, okay. And and we we had one of them booked, who ultimately <laughs> bailed at the last you second. You think she was threatened or something? Do you think someone? Said I don't her, hey. think so. I think it's just a tough. It's tough for people to have the topic. It's not if it's not in an echo chamber. That was what was if, so if, sad if, to if me. If it's tough to talk about, that's even worse. It's if you can't talk about it, and both that makes the situation much worse for women at least as in the Orthodox. Just talking about it, you can talk about it and maybe disagree and say, okay, so forth. But not to even talk about it, that, that says something right there. Don't you agree? I do, and that's, that's why I decided, heck, you know, I'm just going to go forward with the program. Without, by the way, you're doing good by yourself. You're doing good by yourself. <laughs> I really would love to have this, this, this woman, Lila Kagadan, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. She seems like a real hero to me. She was the first female Orthodox rabbi uh, ever uh, ordained. That was only, by the way, just in, you're talking about the last uh, six, seven Where is she? Years. Where is she? Last I heard, she was in Melbourne, Australia. She literally had to leave the, the U.S., then to go to the U.K., then to Australia because of the type, I don't know about literally threats, but basically often wow. getting, getting chased out of, out of communities. What does that it's, say? What yeah. does that say? What does it say? I think, I mean, we have, thank heavens, we do have Rabbi, women rabbis in the United States, obviously we're, we're constructionist, reformed, liberal women rabbis. And I think to some extent the Orthodox community, which they never will, can learn somewhat from it. I, I just want to be clear because sometimes afterwards you get a uh, apologia, you know, and folks kind of interpreting these things differently. I said last week in the program, Stan, you, you may recall if you were listening, that the RCA, which is probably one of two, if not the most uh respected rabbinical council, orthodox rabbinical council, at least in the United States, has a formal stricture against women be ordained as rabbis. I just want to be clear about that. It's not it's not an issue that's subject to interpretation or they can be ordained but should call themselves rabba, rabbanit, or, or, or it can be ordained but shouldn't have a ministry in a congregation. No, the RCA, I think it's Rabbinical Council of America, I think that stands for, the RCA specifically says that women should not be ordained as rabbis. To me, well, look, know, look, look. The Catholic Church. We, we look on the other side of the street. The Catholic Church will never, never make women bishops or cardinals. I mean, we could talk about you know the orthodoxy of the Catholic Church, but there are 
lower grades of, uh, of uh, religion, Episcopals that have women priests and so forth. So there can be women rabbis and priests, but not necessarily in the more orthodox uh, religious uh, modes in this country and the world, I'm sorry to say, but yeah. there are, thank heavens, there are women. I'm glad you brought that up because, I don't know if you heard the caller earlier, I think her name was Emma, who, I don't know whether she was Jewish or not, but she did say uh, between, she used the word Abrahamic religions, for, for that would be Christianity, Islam, and and, right. and, uh, and Judaism, all of, all of which have uh, Abraham as an original uh, patriarch. Um, that she felt that, that Judaism was the most, I guess, um, uh, forward or, or feminist of, of, of those three. I'm not sure if that's really the case because Christianity has got so many different paths within it. But, but here's another way to think about this. And maybe I'm kind of ending a little bit on a, on a defensive note or rationalizing a little bit, Stan. But as a Jew, and I know, you know, we've had these discussions before. I don't know if how, you know, practicing you are or, you know, whether you believe in God, but I know you were born as a Jew and you consider yourself a Jew. Do you do you think in a certain sense it speaks well that we're even having the debate? I mean, I don't really see. Yeah, I think we're having Catholic, the debate. Can you imagine a no, Catholic no, radio absolutely. network where they were talking about having female priests? Uh, there are two. Maybe there species. are. I don't know. There are two species. There's man and there's woman, and you can't deny that there are women, and women think, breathe, genders. We're both the same species. Two yeah, gender, exactly. <laughs> And women have a right in the 21st century to seek religious positions of faith and so forth in every religion. Now, will the orthodoxy of these religions, they're scared. Usually it's because they're afraid. And it's usually not necessarily the dicta, but they are afraid of what it would open up. I think women are more understanding of a divine, I'm not a, a, a believe in a divine, but women, I think, are more understanding of a divine being than men do. Right. I think, I mean that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that that last week, and yet even though in Jewish philosophy the, the women are considered closer to God, think about the daily practice as a Jew of the of putting on the phylactery, the tefillin, mm. and mm-hmm. for those who are non-Jewish, it's uh, you can look it up. It's a, it's a, it's a, like a it's a little uh, holy prayer that's held in a little box. You wrap it around your arm, and then you wrap this leather around your arm a number of times to symbolize the different emotions that we go through in life and superseding them. You put a piece in your head. It's a very mystical, very abstruse mm-hmm. uh, uh, practice, and whether you're into it or not, it's interesting. Well, you know, the first time that women in the Orthodox community ever put on tefillin, which is still not considered a mitzvah, it, it wasn't. It was actually here in New York at the Orthodox Lincoln Square Synagogue, and it was in the late 1970s. There's thousands of years of practice, and that was the first time that a group of women that considered themselves observant in Orthodoxy actually gathered to do that, which is a fundamental aspect of daily prayer. Stan, I want to, I want to, we're, we're out of time. I want to thank quickly, you. I never got used to the tefillah. I can never figure it out. <laughs> it's <laughs> tough. It is tough. Stan, thank you for calling Always in. Always a pleasure, and I hope you have guests next week. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> and thank you for everyone participating in this conversation on feminism and Orthodox Judaism. Oil and water? I don't know. I don't know where I come out after this conversation. Um, I still want to have some follow-up. Okay, we'll talk to you next week. God bless. You don't own me. I'm not just one of your many toys. You don't own me. Don't say I can't go with other boys.